Book One, Chapter Sixteen of Michael Strogoff, Courier of the Tsar. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Michael Strogoff by Jules Verne. Book One, Chapter Sixteen A Final Effort. Michael's fear of meeting the Tartars in the plains beyond the Baraba was by no means ungrounded. The fields, trodden down by horses' hoofs, afforded but too clear evidence that their hordes had passed that way. The same, indeed, might be said of these barbarians as of the Turks. Where the Turk goes, no grass grows. Michael saw at once that in traversing this country the greatest caution was necessary. Wreaths of smoke curling upwards on the horizon showed that huts and hamlets were still burning. Had these been fired by the advance guard, or had the emir's army already advanced beyond the boundaries of the province? Was Feofar Khan himself in the government of Yeniseisk? Michael could settle on no line of action until these questions were answered. Was the country so deserted that he could not discover a single Siberian to enlighten him? Michael rode on for two versts without meeting a human being. He looked carefully for some house which had not been deserted. Every one was tenantless. One hut, however, which he could just see between the trees, was still smoking. As he approached he perceived, at some yards from the ruins of the building, an old man surrounded by weeping children. A woman still young, evidently his daughter and the mother of the poor children, kneeling on the ground, was gazing on the scene of desolation. She had at her breast a baby but a few months old. Shortly she would have not even that nourishment to give it. Ruin and desolation were all around. Michael approached the old man. "'Will you answer me a few questions?' he asked. "'Speak,' replied the old man. "'Have the Tartars passed this way?' "'Yes, for my house is in flames.' "'Was it an army or a detachment?' "'An army, for as far as I could reach, our fields are laid waste.' "'Commanded by the emir?' "'By the emir, for the Obi's waters are red.' "'Has Feofar Khan entered Tomsk?' "'He has.' "'Do you know if his men have entered Kolyvan?' "'No, for Kolyvan does not yet burn.' "'Thanks, friend. Can I aid you and yours?' "'No.' "'Good-bye.' "'Farewell.' And Michael, having presented five-and-twenty roubles to the unfortunate woman, who had not even strength to thank him, put spurs to his horse once more. One thing he knew, he must not pass through Tomsk. To go to Kolyvan, which the Tartars had not yet reached, was possible. Yes, that is what he must do. There he must prepare himself for another long stage. There was nothing for it but, having crossed the Obi, to take the Irkutsk road and avoid Tomsk. This new route decided on, Michael must not delay an instant. Nor did he, but, putting his horse into a steady gallop, he took the road towards the left bank of the Obi, which was still forty versts distant. Would there be a ferry-boat there, or should he, finding that the Tartars had destroyed all the boats, be obliged to swim across? As to his horse, it was by this time pretty well worn out, and Michael intended to make it perform this stage only, and then to exchange it for a fresh one at Kolyvan. Kolyvan would be like a fresh starting-point, for on leaving that town his journey would take a new form. So long as he traversed a devastated country the difficulties must be very great, but if, having avoided Tomsk, he could resume the road to Irkutsk across the province of Yeniseisk, which was not yet laid waste, he would finish his journey in a few days. Night came on, bringing with it refreshing coolness after the heat of the day. At midnight the steppe was profoundly dark. 
the sound of the horse's hoofs alone was heard on the road except when every now and then its master spoke a few encouraging words in such darkness as this great care was necessary lest he should leave the road bordered by pools and streams tributaries of the obi michael therefore advanced as quickly as was consistent with safety he trusted no less to the excellence of his eyes which penetrated the gloom than to the well-proved sagacity of his horse just as michael dismounted to discover the exact direction of the road he heard a confused murmuring sound from the west it was like the noise of horses hoofs at some distance on the parched ground michael listened attentively putting his ear to the ground it is a detachment of cavalry coming by the road from omsk he said to himself they are marching very quickly for the noise is increasing are they russians or tartars michael again listened yes said he they are at a sharp trot my horse cannot outstrip them if they are russians i will join them if tartars i must avoid them but how where can i hide in this steppe he gave a look around and through the darkness discovered a confused mass at a hundred paces before him on the left of the road there is a copse he exclaimed to take refuge there is to run the risk of being caught if they are in search of me but i have no choice in a few moments michael dragging his horse by the bridle reached a little larch wood through which the road lay beyond this it was destitute of trees and wound among bogs and pools separated by dwarfed bushes winds and heather the ground on either side was quite impracticable and the detachment must necessarily pass through the wood they were pursuing the high road to irkutsk plunging in about forty feet he was stopped by a stream running under the brushwood but the shadow was so deep that michael ran no risk of being seen unless the wood should be carefully searched he therefore led his horse to the stream and fastened him to a tree returning to the edge of the road to listen and ascertain with what sort of people he had to do michael had scarcely taken up his position behind a group of larches when a confused light appeared above which glared brighter lights waving about in the shadow torches said he to himself and he drew quickly back gliding like a savage into the thickest underwood as they approached the wood the horse's pace was slackened the horsemen were probably lighting up the road with the intention of examining every turn michael feared this and instinctively drew near to the bank of the stream ready to plunge in if necessary arrived at the top of the wood the detachment halted the horsemen dismounted there were about fifty a dozen of them carried torches lighting up the road by watching their preparations michael found to his joy that the detachment were not thinking of visiting the copse but only bivouacking near to rest their horses and allow the men to take some refreshment the horses were soon unsaddled and began to graze on the thick grass which carpeted the ground the men meantime stretched themselves by the side of the road and partook of the provisions they produced from their knapsacks michael's self-possession had never deserted him and creeping amongst the high grass he endeavored not only to examine the newcomers but to hear what they said it was a detachment from omsk composed of uzbek horsemen a race of the mongolian type these men well built above the medium height rough and wild featured wore on their heads the talpak or black sheepskin cap and on their feet yellow high-heeled boots with turned-up toes like the shoes of the middle ages their tunics were close-fitting and confined at the waist by a leathern belt braided with red 
they were armed defensively with a shield and offensively with a curved sword and a flintlock musket slung at the saddle-bow from their shoulders hung gay-colored cloaks the horses which were feeding at liberty at the edge of the wood were like their masters of the uzbek race these animals are rather smaller than the Turkomanian horses, but are possessed of remarkable strength, and know no other pace than the gallop. This detachment was commanded by a Pinjabashi, that is to say, a commander of fifty men, having under him a Debashi, or simple commander of ten men. These two officers wore helmets and half-coats of mail, little trumpets fastened to their saddle-bows were the distinctive signs of their rank. The Penjabashi had been obliged to let his men rest, fatigued with a long stage. He and the second officer, smoking Beng, the leaf which forms the base of the Hashish, strolled up and down the wood, so that Michael Strogoff, without being seen, could catch and understand their conversation, which was spoken in the Tartar language. Michael's attention was singularly excited by their very first words. It was of him they were speaking. This courier cannot be much in advance of us said the Penjabashi, and on the other hand it is absolutely impossible that he can have followed any other route than that of the Baraba. Who knows if he has left Omsk, replied the Debashi, perhaps he is still hidden in the town. That is to be wished, certainly. Colonel Ogareff would have no fear, then, that the dispatches he bears should ever reach their destination. They say that he is a native, a Siberian resumed the debashi if so he must be well acquainted with the country and it is possible that he has left the irkutsk road depending on rejoining it later but then we should be in advance of him answered the penjabashi for we left omsk within an hour after his departure and have since followed the shortest road with all the speed of our horses he has either remained in omsk or we shall arrive at tomsk before him so as to cut him off in either case he will not reach irkutsk a rugged woman that old siberian who is evidently his mother said the debashi at this remark michael's heart beat violently yes answered the penjabashi she stuck to it well that the pretended merchant was not her son but it was too late colonel ogareff was not to be taken in and as he said he will know how to make the old witch speak when the time comes these words were so many dagger thrusts for michael he was known to be a courier of the czar a detachment of horsemen on his track could not fail to cut him off and worst of all his mother was in the hands of the tartars and the cruel ogareff had undertaken to make her speak when he wished michael well knew that the brave siberian would sacrifice her life for him he had fancied that he could not hate ivan ogareff more yet a fresh tide of hate now rose in his heart the wretch who had betrayed his country now threatened to torture his mother the conversation between the two officers continued and michael understood that an engagement was imminent in the neighborhood of kolyvan between the muscovite troops coming from the north and the tartars a small russian force of two thousand men reported to have reached the lower course of the obi were advancing by forced marches towards tomsk if such was the case this force which would soon find itself engaged with the main body of feofar khan's army would be inevitably overwhelmed and the irkutsk road would be in the entire possession of the invaders as to himself michael learnt by some words from the penjabashi that a price was set on his head and that orders had been given to take him dead or alive it was necessary therefore to get the start of the uzbek horsemen on the irkutsk road and put the obi between himself and them but to do that he must escape before the camp was broken up 
his determination taken, Michael prepared to execute it. Indeed, the halt would not be prolonged, and the Pinjabashi did not intend to give his men more than an hour's rest, although their horses could not have been changed for fresh ones since Omsk, and must be as much fatigued as that of Michael Strogoff. There was not a moment to lose. It was within an hour of morning. It was needful to profit by the darkness to leave the little wood and dash along the road, but although night favored it, the success of such a flight appeared to be almost impossible. Not wishing to do anything at random, Michael took time for reflection, carefully weighing the chances so as to take the best. From the situation of the place the result was this, that he could not escape through the back of the wood, the stream which bordered it being not only deep, but very wide and muddy. Beneath this thick water was a slimy bog, on which the foot could not rest. There was only one way open, the high road. To endeavor to reach it by creeping round the edge of the wood, without attracting attention, and then to gallop at headlong speed, required all the remaining strength and energy of his noble steed. Too probably it would fall dead on reaching the banks of the Obi, when, either by boat or by swimming, he must cross this important river. This was what Michael had before him. His energy and courage increased in sight of danger. His life, his mission, his country, perhaps the safety of his mother, were at stake. He could not hesitate. There was not a moment to be lost. Already there was a slight movement among the men of the detachment. A few horsemen were strolling up and down the road in front of the wood. The rest were still lying at the foot of the trees, but their horses were gradually penetrating towards the center of the wood. Michael had at first thought of seizing one of these horses, but he recollected that, of course, they would be as fatigued as his own. It was better to trust to his own brave steed, which had already rendered him such important service. The good animal, hidden behind a thicket, had escaped the sight of the Uzbeks. They, besides, had not penetrated so far into the wood. Michael crawled up to his horse through the grass, and found him lying down. He patted and spoke gently to him, and managed to raise him without noise. Fortunately, the torches were entirely consumed, and now went out, the darkness being still profound under shelter of the larches. After replacing the bit, Michael looked to his girths and stirrups, and began to lead his horse quietly away. The intelligent animal followed his master without even making the least neigh. A few Uzbek horses raised their heads, and began to wander towards the edge of the wood. Michael held his revolver in his hand, ready to blow out the brains of the first Tartar who should approach him, but happily the alarm was not given, and he was able to gain the angle made by the wood where it joined the road. To avoid being seen, Michael's intention was not to mount until after turning a corner some two hundred feet from the wood. Unfortunately, just at the moment that he was issuing from the wood, an Uzbek's horse, scenting him, neighed and began to trot along the road. His master ran to catch him, and seeing a shadowy form moving in the dim light, "'Look out!' he shouted. At the cry, all the men of the bivouac jumped up and ran to seize their horses. Michael leaped on his steed and galloped away. The two officers of the detachment urged on their men to follow. Michael heard a report and felt a ball pass through his tunic. Without turning his head, without replying, he spurred on, and clearing the brushwood with a tremendous bound, he galloped at full speed toward the Obi. The Uzbek's horses, being unsaddled, gave him a small start, but in less than two minutes he heard the tramp of several horses gradually gaining on him. Day was now beginning to break, and objects at some distance were becoming visible. 
Michael turned his head and perceived a horseman rapidly approaching him. It was the De Bashi. Being better mounted, this officer had distanced his detachment. Without drawing rein, Michael extended his revolver and took a moment's aim. The Uzbek officer, hit in the breast, rolled on the ground. But the other horsemen followed him closely, and without waiting to assist the De Bashi, exciting each other by their shouts, digging their spurs into their horses' sides, they gradually diminished the distance between themselves and Michael. For half an hour only was the latter able to keep out of range of the Tartars, but he well knew that his horse was becoming weaker, and dreaded every instant that he would stumble never to rise again. It was now light, although the sun had not yet risen above the horizon. Two versts distant could be seen a pale line bordered by a few trees. This was the Obi, which flows from the southwest to the northeast, the surface almost level with the ground, its bed being but the steppe itself. Several times shots were fired at Michael, but without hitting him, and several times too he discharged his revolver on those of the soldiers who pressed him too closely. Each time an Uzbek rolled on the ground, midst cries of rage from his companions. But this pursuit could only terminate to Michael's disadvantage. His horse was almost exhausted. He managed to reach the bank of the river. The Uzbek detachment was now not more than fifty paces behind him. The Obi was deserted, not a boat of any description which could take him over the water. "'Courage, my brave horse!' cried Michael. "'Come! A last effort!' and he plunged into the river, which here was half a verst in width. It would have been difficult to stand against the current. Indeed, Michael's horse could get no footing. He must therefore swim across the river, although it was rapid as a torrent. Even to attempt it showed Michael's marvelous courage. The soldiers reached the bank but hesitated to plunge in. The Penjabashi seized his musket and took aim at Michael, whom he could see in the middle of the stream. The shot was fired, and Michael's horse, struck in the side, was borne away by the current. His master, speedily disentangling himself from his stirrups, struck out boldly for the shore. In the midst of a hailstorm of balls he managed to reach the opposite side, and disappeared in the rushes. End of Book One, Chapter Sixteen